Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 149, a very big episode 149. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And as 2022 really kicks in and the weather gets colder, this is a very important time to stay vigilant. Former president who lies about this election and the mob that attacked this Capitol could not be further away from the core American values. They want to rule or they will ruin. They want to rule or they will ruin. Biden's right. He's been wrong a lot lately, but he's right about this. The speech he gave on January 6th was one of the best and most important of his entire life. It was a wartime speech, and it needed to be that. The American insurgency is real and must be defeated by all of us. The threat is that real. It's that cold. And it's not shrinking. It's growing like a dark winter storm. This is a cold winter in America already. Legendary actor and activist Sidney Poitier has died. The Omicron variant continues to spread like wildfire. Schools are shutting down all across America. 37 veterans are dying every day from COVID. Putin continues to have Russian troops staged and threatening on the border of Ukraine. Winter is ravaging Afghanistan, which continues to devolve into a humanitarian tragedy of the highest magnitude. And the temperatures where I live have been in the single digits with a wind chill of negative eight. Yeah, the winter of 2022 is starting off with lots of bad news and lots of cold. But there are signs of light. There are sources of heat. The vaccine works. And Omicron is not as deadly as we originally feared. Ahmaud Arbery's two white murderers were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Bill de Blasio is no longer mayor of New York City. A new season of BattleBots is here. The New York Giants have finally fired catastrophically bad coach Joe Judge. And the cold weather means sledding season is here. And crampon season is here. And the clearest starry nights of the year are here. It's a dark cold time in America in many ways, but even in the darkest, coldest times, there are always helpers. There are always spots of heat, sources of light to warm our spirits and take us into the spring. And one of those sources of light is Dusty Talavera. She's the kind of helper Mr. Rogers told us all to look for. This week, in frigid Denver, Colorado, At about 3.30 p.m. on a Sunday, Dusty Talavera, age 23, looked out her apartment window to see four kids playing on the ice. And then three of them fell through that ice. And she leaped into action. NBC had the story. 
I just kind of put some shoes on and ran out. I just knew that nobody, you know, nobody was really outside. So, I mean, I was going to, it was me, you know. I just knew it was me that had to do it. What she did, did was amazing. We were <laughs> back at the fire station talking about how brave she was, how great, great the officers did. And gosh, I hope if this happened to one of mine that some, somebody like her was close by. It was me. I just knew it was me that had to do it. That's what Dusty Talavera said. She was right. It was her. And she did do it. She saved those kids. All three kids that went through the ice lived. One had to be revived by paramedics, but the kid is recovering. And all three children were saved. In the frigid, cold water, Dusty Talavera leaped in to meet the moment. She was the light that those kids needed in that cold, dark moment. Even in the coldest, darkest moments, there are sources of light. They're out there. And another one of those sources of light is our guest in this episode, Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Forty-three-year-old Illinois Republican congressman, Air Force veteran, political maverick, and fighter of the good fight, Adam Kinzinger. He's the man of this moment in American politics and American history. He's catapulted to the forefront of America's consciousness even more in the last few months as one of only two Republicans on the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack at the United States Capitol. Congressman Adam Kinzinger is leading the fight to save the soul of America. He's leading the fight to hold the January 6th attackers accountable. He's leading a fight to oppose Donald Trump and try to save the Republican Party. And he's also about to become a dad for the first time. He's the man in the arena on all the issues. And for many, he's the best hope out there for a viable independent candidate for president of the United States. So, is he running for president? Does he think we're facing an American insurgency? Will he leave the Republican Party? What's he going to name his new baby on the way? Why can't he stop tweeting about Ted Cruz? Who the hell is Ray Epps? What should America do about Ukraine and Afghanistan? What's worse, changing diapers or washing bottles? We'll get into all of it with a man who, for many, represents the last hope for the future of the Republican Party. A man who, for many, is a nasty rhino that needs to be knocked out of his congressional seat. A man who, for many, represents a real hope for a third party and maybe even a viable independent candidate for president in 2024. A man who, for many, represents hope for the future of America. And a man who knows that now, more than ever, now is a time to stay vigilant. Because vigilance is the price of freedom, especially in the coldest of days. Vigilance and courage is what makes winter soldiers different. Thomas Paine 
began the first of his pamphlets about the American crisis from 1776 to 1783 with this. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. That's Thomas Paine. He who stands by it is the winter soldier, and he or she deserves our love and our thanks and our support. And this is the time for every single one of us to be a winter soldier in whatever way we can. This is another episode of Independent Americans to help us all stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, especially in the coldest of days. Welcome to the winter of 2022. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 149. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. This is a moment I think we've all been waiting for, and the timing could not be better. We've got a guest uh, that has, I think, inspired many of our listeners, captured the attention of the country and the world, um, really pleased many Democrats, infuriated many Trump supporters, and interested especially a lot of folks in between. He's, he's a heroic voice. Uh, he is an important voice, and I'm very grateful that after a long wait, finally, we are joined by the great and powerful Congressman Adam Kinzinger is here on Independent Americans. Welcome, Congressman. Thanks. You're too kind. I, uh, you know, never set out to do any of that. But in a in an era of cowardice, I guess you can stand up pretty easy. Well, it, it, you know, it may be easy for you, uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's increasingly rare. Um, yeah. And. Uh, I'm grateful that you're talking to us right now, too. You know, a week after January 6th, um, coming into the new year, um, you are the man of the moment. And I think representing a voice of conscience for many. Um, and I'm really grateful that, that you could be here. Um, first question I ask everybody, where are you and how are you? It's been a wild year or two here, man. Where are yeah. you and how are you? I've aged rapidly. Um, no, I'm good. I'm actually in Illinois, in Shanahan, Illinois. We're uh, we're on baby watch right now, me and the wife. So uh, we're in session. Thankfully, I can vote proxy at this moment. But uh, yeah, we're just waiting for that moment where she's like, oh, it's time to go to the hospital. So doing great. It's going to be a life change, I know, but we're stoked. I'm very excited for you. Congratulations to you, your Thanks. wife, and your whole family. I know you've got a boy on the way. Uh, as a father of two boys, you're about to get your most challenging mission ever. So I hear uh, it's changing diapers is the most challenging thing and making sure you don't get peed on. You know what, man? After going on six years, I can deal with diapers. What really <laughs> sucks is bottles. I am so sick of cleaning bottles and finding pieces of bottles and putting bottles together. I can do diapers all day, man, but bottles are quickly becoming the death of me. But I've said this before. There are only a couple things you understand only if you've been through them. Combat is one of them. 
uh, I think a pandemic is, is, is a second and now parenthood. So you're about to That's get right. the third, the third pillar. And All right. uh, I'm ready. It makes me a better man. Well, speaking of that, you're, you know, you're known for your integrity. I think we first met maybe years ago on the Hill, right? Long There's kind of the yeah. small world of veterans. We all know each other working on the Hill. And I remember when you first got there, um, you always had time for folks and you came in with a head full of steam, but time has passed quickly. Uh, and now you're, you're really in a key driver's seat. When I was researching, getting ready for this, I think you are only one of two combat veterans on the January 6th Select Committee. And I want to talk about January 6th. I want to talk about yeah. Trump. I want to talk about your future. I want to talk about a lot of things. But when I looked into, you know, maybe what folks don't appreciate you, and I think, uh, you know, Congresswoman Loria of Virginia was in the Navy. Right. But the two of you are the only combat veterans on this January 6th committee. And, and I feel like that that uniquely shapes your understanding about the national security threat. Is that, how, how do you look at that? Oh, it's 100% true. And, you know, look, it's a couple of things. So, you know, we have seen, and again, I'm not trying to compare my combat experience to anybody, but you see failed governments, you see failed democracies, you know, having an interest in foreign affairs like I do, you deal with struggling democracies all the time. And one of the things that you see is that it is so easy for that basic trust to be broken and when that basic trust is broken, and I would argue that the basic trust that has to exist in, in our country is if you vote, it counts and the, and the votes will be counted accurately. When that goes away, I mean, you are all you're doing is starting a clock. I don't know how long it'll take, but starting a clock till it falls apart. And, and, you know, the other thing I'll just tell you, and I'm not trying to sound all, you know, high and mighty. When I got elected, I literally just got back from Iraq. So this was. March of 09, or May of 09, I launched my campaign. And I remember I said to myself, and I, and I actually said it in a few campaign speeches, if we're going to ask young people to fight and die for this country, which we have to ask them, um, shouldn't we be willing to give our career for the same cause? And you know, to me, I thought it would be like some vote to reform Social Security that would cost me my job. I didn't realize we'd ever be in a fight to defend democracy. So yeah, it changes your perspective for sure. So I, I want to go deeper in that because I feel like you understand the urgency of what January 6th represented and what it could be the beginning of. We've talked about this with everybody from Admiral Mullen to Admiral Stravides. We've gone and looked at it from all sides. Um, I have called this an American insurgency. Um, yeah. I, I think what we're seeing is very dangerous from a, a, a national security standpoint because the enemy is within. The Pentagon has called domestic terrorism the number one national security threat. I want to put a point on this and ask you, based off your experience in particular, is this an American insurgency? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a huge national security threat because let's take, let's take national security in the perspective most people think of. Right now, China is obviously a national security threat. Russia is a national security threat. Iran, North Korea, we all know the actors. They are watching the chaos and, be, and recognizing, particularly China, which has this 100-year you know, marathon strategy. And they recognize that, I, I say facetiously, but almost not, if China nuked California, I feel like the reaction would be good. Now we can win the presidential election on the right. And I feel like almost if they nuked Texas, the reaction would be good. Now the Democrats will always win. I say that jokingly, but the reality is we're so focused on fighting each other that we're not able to put a broader strategy in place. Now, on the domestic side of the House, again, when you start having violence 
and you start, you create a baseline. So the thing you know about DC is if you ever violate a norm, it never comes back ever, right? So when you have 147 members of Congress say that an election was fraudulent and vote against certification, that is your baseline for next time. It's, it's going to be 147 or more. It's going to be people that have to live up now to that standard. And then eventually you run into what happens if we don't have a peaceful transfer of power. What happens if the election results are truly seen as illegitimate? And, uh, and you can see how things quickly fall apart. Just take the case of you know Kyle Rittenhouse. Let's say I could see a situation where Kyle Rittenhouse was actually, let's say, killed on the streets of Kenosha. And all of a sudden you see some Wisconsin or Illinois militia that responds to the perceived threat. And then you can see a militia from the left, for instance, do the same thing. And you can see how one little spark can ignite a fury in a civil war, one that would be like the 21st century versus the 19th, where we don't stand in standing armies, we just all kill each other. Yeah, yeah, I think the, the idea of a civil war is something that people have wrapped their head around, but it feels like at this phase, an insurgency is more is more accurate. Like we fought in Iraq and Afghanistan have been battling since 9-11. It doesn't necessarily have to be coordinated by, you know, Zarqawi or Donald Trump. It can be people who buy into that ideology and become lone wolves and just act because they are in accordance with the philosophy. So, you know, I in, in preparation of this interview, I asked folks, hey, what should I ask Kinzinger? And, and somebody said to me, you know, ask him what the best case scenario is. And I, I actually want to flip that because we're military planners. You're a strategist. <laughs> Can, can you break it down in no shit terms here? What is the worst case scenario? You're motivated because you got a kid on the way. You care about the future. You're talking about country first. Can, can you shake people in a way maybe you can't when you're on a cable news network and break down what the worst case scenario could look like in America? Yeah, I, totally. Let's say, let's take the issue of insurgency or civil war. Let's call it all the same. We'll call it insurgency. We'll just call it violence, whatever. You can see how, so this is why January 6th was so dangerous, partially. If I truly believed, if I believed that the government had rigged an election and put a false president in, I mean, I would almost feel like violence is the right answer because, again, we were, we've been raised in this environment that, you know, in the revolution, we threw off oppression. There may be moments where you have an oppressive government. Those are all legitimate things, which is why convincing people of that is so dangerous. So I could see, let's just take a scenario. Donald Trump runs again. Now, instead of having great people like uh, Raffersberger as Secretary of State in Georgia, you have Jody Heiss as Secretary of State, who refuses to certify an election despite, let's say, Joe Biden winning re-election. And now you end up creating that situation. And then you have people protesting on the streets. Maybe they burn a building and maybe somebody says, gee, once again, we have lawlessness. We can't have buildings burning. We're going to show up, exercise our constitutional right to carry an AR in public. And then that sparks into violence. And ultimately, what's going to happen? Joe Biden can get on television or whoever the president is and say, hey, everybody, chill out, right? We've got this under control. But now half the country thinks that person is illegitimate. And those are the kinds of things that we're not too far off from, maybe 10 years, maybe now, maybe 30 years. But the reality is, if something doesn't interdict this conspiracy, lie, social media outrage cycle, that will happen. It's just a matter of when. And I truly believe that. And I'll tell you, a year ago, I never would have said that. I never would have. And now I believe it's a, it's a possibility we have to wake up to. 
I think it's it's an alarm that needs ringing loudly. And I think especially folks who come from the national security and defense space appreciate that you're ringing it. And you know, Liz Cheney, someone who comes from a national security focused family, gets it. And, and that national security, domestic security interconnectedness seems to be the part that people are missing. The, the, the new front in, in this insurgency is not another Capitol Hill attack. It's a school board meeting. It's, it's, it's your local supermarket, just like the insurgencies in the Middle East went to softer targets. That's what we could see in, in the year ahead. So I ask you, when you think about tackling this, this existential threat, um, it, you're leaving Congress. You know, some folks, I understand it. I get where it's going. I get the politics of that. And it looks like you're, you're building, you know, taking your, your, your movement and building something, not unlike Trump might do or someone else. So what comes next in tackling that strategic priority? Is it you running for president? Is there an environment where Biden runs on one side, Trump runs on the other side, and you run as an alternative to both? Look, you know, in terms of that as a possibility, I don't know. And maybe, uh, you know, I think if you run, the advantage of making a run, even if it's, you know, tough to win in this environment, is you have a megaphone to tell truth. And I think that's what we're starving from is truth. I, I think on the good news side of what's happening, you know, yeah, wh- whatever it is, 60, 70 percent of Republicans believe Joe Biden wasn't elected, but 70 percent of Americans do. And I think it's important occasionally to reflect on that, that there's still a large majority, although it should be 100 percent. But, you know, it is what it is. So for me, I had to look at, OK, if I run again, I obviously go through a bruising primary. Let's not mention that the Democrats also, once again, as they did 10 years ago, drew me in with a incumbent Republican member of Congress. Um, but I look at that and I'm like, so you have to have on one message running for re-election to the House, which takes a lot of energy and zaps a lot of energy from fighting the broader anti-conspiracy narrative nationwide. And, you know, the old, the old narrative is you have to stay in office to have the influence. I think we're at a moment now where you don't necessarily have to continue to hold that office to go out and fight these bigger issues. So whether that means I run for something bigger, I don't know. Whether that means what I do know is that my passion for the country and the truth has actually increased over the last few years. And, and that's, that's what we need. We're not, there's not going to be a silver bullet, but there has got to be a culture of telling the truth, no matter how messy it can be. Well, there's, there's also another part of this. Being in Congress sucks. Like there's a it lot about being sucks. in Congress yep. is terrible. And, and if you're freed of, of having to do fundraising and having two year cycles and having constituent management, which may be empowering, but it's a lot of work. And you and I know a lot of people in Congress and the job itself sucks. So I, I see you as kind of graduating out of out of Congress. But are you also graduating out of the Republican Party? What happens with regard to that? Do you do you leave the Republican Party or do you stay and fight and try to change it? Not yet. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll caveat it and say if this continues, you know, however long down the road and there's a moment where you're like, I just can't even longer identify like I'm embarrassed to say it. That's a whole different story. I'm not a Democrat. Obviously, I'm still center right. Um, but at this point, I look at, at how insidious and and kind of seeping this whole what's what's become of the Republican Party has been. You have to have people willing to fight within it in the inside. Um, and I think that's what that's the role I'm playing at the moment. Now, by the way, I'll be supportive of truth telling Democratic candidates. Um, so it's not just a Republican focus for me, but I think the Republican Party needs people to stand up and tell the truth in it, because frankly, it makes it uncomfortable for a lot of Republican leaders. That needs to happen 
but it, it, it also gives you still an ability to address people that otherwise won't hear from anybody that they in any way identify with. Well, you know, so many of us that are independent and unaffiliated, we're 40 percent of the country. And arguably, you know, the most important affiliation is none right now. And we look to voices like you to say, OK, who's going to break free? And, and right now, you know, it's not going to be Andrew Yang. It's, it's not going to be Howard Schultz. There, there's long been, I think, a, a hunger for a Colin Powell type, especially someone out of the military. We know that Michael Bloomberg considered Admiral Mullen as a, as a vice presidential candidate. Hillary Clinton considered Admiral Stravides. Is that break point for you with the Republican Party, whether or not Trump gets the nomination? It feels like watching Bloomberg decide whether he runs with you, that if Trump is the nominee, the party buys him, then you take a, a third way? It's possible. I mean, again, I think it's one of those you have to kind of analyze it almost every day on what's yeah. next. What are we going to do? And I look at it like this, you know, the, the, if we can get to a point where the 40% unaffiliated can overcome the huge massive institutional barriers to any kind of third party run, that is going to be key. I mean, as an example for Congress, if I want to get on the ballot this year as a Republican congressional candidate, it's like 600 signatures I need in Illinois. If I run as an independent, it's 13,000 signatures. And by the You're way- You're preaching to the 13, choir here, man. You're preaching to the yeah. choir here. We, we get it. Yeah. So how do we overcome that? Now, I think in the meantime, you can have truth tellers within parties. You know, just as Donald Trump shifted the base of the Republican Party, you can have truth tellers in it shifting it back. But I would love to see a third. I would love to see a third party be successful in this country because I think it drags both extremes to the center. I'd love to see it. I mean, I, you know, we talk about it and explore it all the time on this show. It, it's something we root for. And, and even if not a third party, but just a third alternative. Right. And right. If, if the scenario is Trump and, and Biden, I could see you on the stage with them. If it's somebody like Trump and, and Harris, it seems even more wide open for you. And, and I think we're waiting for it, it's kind of like watching the first quarterback leave the NFL and go to the USFL or something. Right. Like I, I'm trying to come up with the right analogy here, but we need somebody to break free and crack that seal and show that it can work. And there are folks like we've had Wes Moore on this show who I think could be beyond partisanship. He could run you know, as an independent if there was a coalition. So are there people that you view that are allies in that quest? Uh, who who Certainly. who do you go to if you want to be an independent candidate? Obviously, you need money. So there's the Bloombergs of the world. But who are the natural allies for you if you really make a go for that? So I think there's a, there's a kind of a broad network of people, you know, on the left, on the right, in the center that are interested in this. The key is bringing them together at the right moment. Right now is not the right moment. You don't want it to flame out early. There may be a moment if it's, for instance, Donald Trump and Harris or whoever. Um, look at, look at Utah, for instance, you know, Evan McMullen is running yep. against Mike Lee. I've endorsed yep. Evan McMullen. Now an independent candidacy is possible in Utah where it's not really in Illinois, for instance, but I think even if he doesn't win, and I think he has a great shot at winning, even if he doesn't win, if he, if he, you know, finishes, uh, in, in the top, right. If he looks good, those are the kinds of things that can build momentum that we can learn from. He's a pioneer in that. Obviously, he's actually who I voted for in 2016 for president. He's a pioneer. This process takes a while, but there is money interested in this. The key, though, is, is do we have to break the what I call the political matrix, right? where you just believe it's the red pill, blue pill scenario. It's you're either pro-life, pro-choice, pro-gun, anti-gun. 
there's no like continuum of things in there. And right. if you run as an independent and somebody finds out, for instance, you're pro Second Amendment, like I am, of course, with, with reasonable restrictions, uh, they're all of a sudden, well, I'm not, you know, I want more gun control. Therefore, I'm out and I'm going Democrat. That's been the problem yeah, ever yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, we need a coalition we, of people to see a bigger issue. And, and frankly, you know, we also need somebody who's a legitimate independent from the start and not just somebody switching jerseys. And, That's you right. know, Andrew Yang is that. And frankly, so are you. So like mm-hmm. is, is, you know, we, we need that, those first couple of people to break the seal and create the infrastructure and the donor base and the voter ID information. And we need things like, you know, ranked voting and open primaries, things that can yep. structurally change. And I feel like there's momentum, but we're still looking for our spirit animal. Right. We're looking for that person who can be, you know, the best ghost of John McCain, whoever it is. And I think, you know, you are a person that people look to more than, than just about anybody. So Evan's been a guest on this show. I hope you'll come back and we'll keep talking about it. But I want to shift and, and t- take us to an issue that I think is still underappreciated, which is Afghanistan. I've called it America's great betrayal of Afghanistan. It's also, in my view, a betrayal of American veterans and American service members. You've been on this right now. You've got private companies that are heroically saving people because our government isn't. Um, in my view, this is the most catastrophic thing that, that Joe Biden has done. I, you've talked about it a lot, but I want to ask you here, what do we do now? Given the, 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 the inadequacy of our government, Biden has already put it in the rearview mirror. Lots of our friends are scrambling to get flights and help people out. But where is the national leader and the vision for what's next here as we hit winter and kids are starving? Nowhere, nowhere. Because look, both parties have tried to put Afghanistan in the rearview mirror. We, we know Donald Trump negotiated this deal. Joe Biden executed it. And both like and that's been the problem with foreign policy from the beginning is people get bored of it. And so leaders quit being bored of selling it. I, you know, I can't think of a president since W that really made the case for Afghanistan anyway. And if you look at the relative minor investment, I mean, now. You know, there's discussion the U.N. needs $3 billion in humanitarian aid. That's not even going to stem the problem. It may touch a little bit and help a little bit. But you think of the cost that's going to go in to mitigate this humanitarian disaster, and that'll pale and th- that will be that will probably be mountains above what the U.S. would have spent to maintain at least the status quo. You saw the next generation of Afghans already starting up to take leadership. It's, it's the biggest disappointment to me. You know, yes, there's that moment in August or so when when people recognize the, dis, the the problem with America just abdicating its role. But I think we haven't learned a lesson from that. We still have these private groups, as you mentioned, out there trying to save Americans. Right. If I'm the, if I'm president of the United States tomorrow, I'm calling, you know, I, I'm making it clear to the Taliban that we will use any asset possible to save anybody that needs saved. And if they step in our way, they're going to pay for that. They won't step in your way, by the way. This is what we need to realize as Americans is our military power is unchecked. It doesn't mean you flaunt it, but it certainly means you use it to back up what you need to be able to do. We have left behind Americans, green card holders, and it's disgusting. And honestly, I think without that having been done, you would not be seeing 150,000 Russian troops on Ukraine's border today. So that's, that's, where, that's exactly where I want to go. So I want, I want to get to the Ukraine because, you know, in the midst of all this, everything from the pandemic to the infighting to an insurgency, our enemies are celebrating, right? The, the North Koreans are licking their chops. The Chinese are, are thrilled. And Putin is just waiting and, and planning and pressuring. So uh, 
what would you do differently right now with regard to the Ukraine? Because uh, we know that Putin's picking a fight with NATO and he's testing Trump and every, sorry, Biden and everyone else. What should be done right now on the Ukraine? So, look, Putin responds only to strength. And this is real basic in kind of how the Russians act. You know, it's a small economy. We know all that. He's very worried about the declining population, et cetera. When we killed 400-some Russian soldiers in a matter of hours in Syria, Putin was quiet for about six months after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with Ukraine, look, I don't, I don't pine for war in Ukraine, but I think we have to make it clear that if there is a massive invasion of Ukraine, you know, we have the capability to destroy the Russian Air Force, to inflict casualties on the ground, and that the Ukrainians will not relent in their guerrilla war against the Russians and will support that. I also think instead of negotiating with Nord Stream 2 sanctions, which are mandated by Congress right now, we need to implement Nord, Nord Stream 2 sanctions because Putin understands that if you show strength, you're serious. And so I think if Joe Biden today said Nord Stream 2 sanctions are in place, this, this pipeline will not open. Now what we'll negotiate is from here out. You know, what is it that's on your mind? Uh, we're not acquiescing to Ukraine NATO membership or Georgia NATO membership, but we can talk about even future expansion. Um, so you can have a little give and take, but Vladimir Putin needs to know that you're serious or he will push the boundary until he, I mean, it's, it's the lesson, I'm not comparing the situation, but it's the lesson of Adolf Hitler had, had his initial movements into the Sudetenland or whatever actually been met by the French and British, he probably, at least it would have delayed his expansion in Europe because he expected it and was blown away by the fact that they didn't stand up to it. Well, this may be the defining point of the Biden presidency now, right? Like this is coming. We've got a midterm election. Uh, You know, Biden could rise to the moment and push back and rally NATO in the world against an aggressor in Putin or Putin could roll him. Right. And and if so, if they do cross and they invade Ukraine, uh, I don't see you know, Trump ordering the annihilation of the Russian Air Force. I, you know, it, it's going to take them a long time to get together NATO forces to respond. And and the world is, is going to be watching, but so will the American populace. So I, I think that, right. you know, this is the pending pivot point in maybe the entire Biden presidency with now Trump more vocal and, and counters like you. Let me just ask you, as we talk about the, the infighting that's happening, shifting back to domestic politics, but also to the people that are in the arena with you. Why dunk on Ted Cruz? You're active on Twitter now, right? You're, 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 you're in the mix every day. Maybe now as you leave Congress, you're going to be more uninhibited. And I see what you're doing, right? You're picking your spots, trying to call out misinformation and disinformation and, and you know, calling people out. But at the same time, how do you do it without elevating bullshit and elevating nonsense and elevating bad actors that may not have the best interests of the United States at heart? I think in some moments you have to elevate to to attack. And I think the new lesson on conspiracy theories is, you know, the old way was, hey, ignore conspiracy theories because it gives them the oxygen to breathe. That's changed because there is a whole kind of media ecosystem that nurtures this. The whole, you know, this whole Ray Epps issue, for instance, this has actually been a conspiracy since November. At November, it was in its infancy. Marjorie Taylor Greene's just about it now. Ted Cruz mainstreamed it when he when he asked the question on it. He mainstreamed it. And that's why we have to be attacking these early on. I think Ted Cruz will be, if he has the capability, will be super embarrassed and ashamed 
by all of this. But that's why I think when you have actors, particularly ones that want to be famous, get retweets and raise money on conspiracy, I think you have to expose their tactics and techniques. Because if you don't, it is taken as gospel. And if somebody doesn't push back on Ray Epps, for instance, which which Ted is pushing, it is taken as truth. And I think, unfortunately, that's the moment we're in. And 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 that's a that's a that's a different political strategy, right? It's it's what people haven't been doing. It's what Trump has done on the other side. It's what the Democrats have been reluctant to do. They don't throw punches. They kind of keep getting hit. And for folks who don't know, Ray Epps is the guy who was there on January 6th outside and said, all right, let's take the Capitol. You've made the point. He never went in the Capitol. He never broke a law. But now you're in this information battle with Fox and others. Um, and and it's it's interesting to watch. But it's also about can you protect the people who are telling the truth, like Fauci or others who are right now tough to protect. So I see you being nimble, especially on social media, in a way that's going to be required in a a new political order. Um, I'll ask you to stick around for a couple quick Patreon questions for Patreon members that are going to be fun. We'll we'll take a break with those folks uh, who who are behind the paywall. But I want to finish because I know your time is tight by asking you to maybe bring it back to to you. Um, You're about to be a dad. Um, frankly, I have been skeptical of anybody for elected office who isn't a parent. I asked Pete Buttigieg uh, when he was on a long time ago um, about whether somebody could vote for someone who hadn't had a kid. He had a great answer. And now he has children. Um, I know you don't know what you don't know yet, um, but just given where you are right now, watching your watch and, and maybe having to run to the hospital any minute now, how is how is being a dad changed you as a leader? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because I think it goes from, and I, I've noticed this in myself, you're, and frankly, this happened with marriage as well, is you go from your decisions obviously only affecting you to affecting others now, and not just others, people that you dearly love. Um, you also, your desire, you know, we all suffer, everybody in politics suffers from, gee, do people know my name? Do they know who I am? You know, altruistically, you can say it's because it gives me more influence, but it's also, you know, same fame symptom everybody suffers from. That goes away because all of a sudden your quality of life and life becomes more about, you know, I'd be happy staying at home, you know, working, working second shift at Arby's, honestly, uh, if it meant that we could all be together. And so I think it changes your perspective. And quite honestly, every day, you know, you go through the battle of I'd love to just close my iPad, walk away from all this business and hope nobody remembers my name in a few months because they don't when you're out of politics, by the way. But I also look and note that for whatever reason ingrained in me is this desire to tell the truth and to fight against not just it's not a I wouldn't get this fired up if this was a battle over guns, abortion, taxes, anything like that. This is really a fight over the, the survival of this country. I believe that now. And I think it's worth putting everything into, but it certainly changes your perspective and it becomes far less about you and far more about others. You have a name picked out yet? We do. Christian. Christian Adam. Ah, well, uh, I know that Christian will be proud of his father and and his mother and your entire family and all of you that are on this um, this journey to defend the soul of America. And I think that's what you're doing. Um, I am not 
um, pulling any punches about the fact that I think you are absolutely essential to the future of this country right now and and that people need to rally around leaders with courage and integrity. And right now you are one of those leaders. So I am grateful personally for your leadership. And I think many of us out there are grateful for your leadership and your courage and all the sacrifices that your family's going through. I mean, you're about to have a baby and you're going to you know, go on Twitter and get death threats. That's real shit. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that those of us who've been close to politics understand that. Um, but everybody in America appreciates it. So I hope you'll come back on this show. I hope you'll run for president because we independents have no options right now. And and I hope you will continue to do what you've been doing uh, and that you'll stay vigilant. We appreciate you very much, sir. You too, man. Thanks for putting a voice to independence. I think people feel more than 40% of America feels politically homeless. And, uh, we need a voice to that right now. They've been convinced there's only two choices and they have to fit into a mold that maybe they don't want to fit into. And we've got to be conjuring up new ideas and thinking of new ways and your leadership's important in that. No, well, well, you know, uh, team America, one team, one fight, but you're going to have to leave the Republican party to get a lot of us, right? Like that's That's going to be the key. So we look forward to watching it. Thank you again, sir. Keep after it. You bet. There he is, the guy who is running on the dangerous frozen lake that is American politics right now. The guy who might leave the Republican Party. The guy who is about to be a dad. The guy who might be president one day. And in the meantime, he's deep in the fight. And he's committed to being a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers like Adam Kinzinger are out there. Helpers like Dusty Talavera, who saved those kids in Denver. Look for them and check out the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Look for the helpers. They are out there. We'll also have a link to the video from The Rescue by Dusty Talavera on the Independent Americans show website. It's independentamericans.us. You can also see video from my conversation with Congressman Kinzinger. You can get Independent Americans gear to keep you warm in this cold time. And you can join our Patreon community and much more if you go on over to independentamericans.us. You can also find Independent Americans and Righteous Media on YouTube. And you can see videos from all our shows. Check us out on social media, and you can guess the guest every Wednesday. We'll do a preview, and you have to guess who the guest is based off our clues. Thanks to all of you who've been playing, and a shout-out to Claire Owens, who this week correctly guessed Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Big shout-out also to our Patreon members, especially Mason Hendershot, which is a great name, who just joined us this week, and Perry Jeffries, my old friend, IAVA founding member, First Sergeant Perry Jeffries down in Texas. Thank you, my friend, for joining us. And thank you to everybody who's a member of our Patreon crew. And if you're a member of our Patreon community like Mason and like Perry, you get to keep this movement growing, but you're also going to get exclusive content of me with Adam Kinziger. I asked him some of the fun questions. What was his favorite car? You're going to want to hear that. What is he listening to lately? What's his drink of choice? And of course pancakes versus waffles it's special content just for our patreon members 
Join us anytime. You can find a link at Independent Americans. You get that exclusive content and you get to support this show. And we're also going to do a cocktail hour coming up. If you're a Patreon member, we'll let you know and we'll invite you to join me and maybe a couple of our recent guests for a special winter cocktail. If you like this show, please support us also and go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe for free and share. We're on every single podcast platform and share it with a couple of your friends. Share it with five of your friends. Share it with any friends that you forgot to give a Christmas gift to. Share this great content and help them stay vigilant. And be sure to check out Rob Sarah's new podcast, The Firefighters. A new episode drops every Friday, and this week, Rob's taking you inside the tragic fire in the Bronx that killed 17 people, including eight children. What the hell happened? What did the news miss? How can you prevent and prepare for a fire in your home? Rob's the man for this story and all stories having to do with firefighters and other first responders. It's an informative and inspiring show every single episode. So be sure to check out the Firefighters podcast with Rob Sarah. Get it wherever you got this podcast or you can go to Righteous.us. Righteous Media is continuing to bring you the five eyes in all our podcasts and everything we do. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And like America, it's a true team effort. So thanks to the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. They keep bringing the heat. And thank you, of course, to my wife and two boys. They're fired up to face the winter. They're adapting to virtual school. And they're ready for anything else that comes at us this winter. And I hope you will be too, because America's more divided than ever before. But we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working hard to change that. We're adding light to contrast the cold of the other political shows, especially when it's at its coldest. So if you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, but you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. And if you're a concerned American who gives a shit about the future of your country, this is your show. You're all welcome here. We invite you to join us, be a part of the movement, and be a part of the solution. And do your part. Keep sharing the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. It keeps the fire lit, especially in the darkest and coldest of nights. And it's that fire that'll keep this movement of independent Americans growing week by week by week. So stay vigilant, my friend. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know that you are not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And especially this winter, we're all in it together. From dusty Talavera to the scores of heroes that are still working to save our allies this winter in Afghanistan. To Congressman Adam Kinzinger. To the firefighters running into burning buildings as others run out. To you. All across this country, we are all in this together, and we can all be winter soldiers. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay warm, and stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.